Hey, my name's Matt Kennedy, and this is the Steadfast Podcast. This podcast exists to use Bible study and theological teaching to encourage you to be steadfast in your faith. Thank you for taking time out of your day to check out the Steadfast Podcast. I hope today's episode is an encouragement to you. So angels are a fascinating thing in the Bible, aren't they? I mean, though they're mentioned more than 200 times throughout the pages of Scripture, I think there's still a lot of mystery there. There's a lot of things we, we don't know, and there's a lot of uh, fun questions we may have that we just don't have answers to. In the Bible, we see angels doing battle. We see angels worshiping before the throne of God. But the most common thing we see them doing in Scripture is delivering messages to serve the role of a messenger. So the story of Jesus, we know, is a story like no other It is a story of a sovereign God to bring hope to the hopeless, to bring peace to a chaotic world, to bring joy to a broken world, and to bring love like the world had never seen before. And in this story of Jesus, there are many people in there who we recognize and who we remember, and when we have Christmas performances, they're always in there. But isn't it both the presence and the frequency of angels that can really grab our attention? that can really jump off the page. Every turn, every event in the story of the birth of Jesus has angels doing something. Because remember, this is a story like none other. Tonight, we're going to go through two angelic messages. What did the angels say? What did the angels say to Mary? And what did the angels say to the shepherds? Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Quote, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. End quote. So now, what did the angel say to Mary? First, our setting. Mary's relative Elizabeth has now been pregnant with John the Baptist for about six months now. When an angel spoke to Zechariah, he was serving in the temple, which was in Jerusalem, one of the, the main areas of all the Jewish faith. But now Gabriel was sent to a place where Luke had to describe where it even is. He was sent to a place called Nazareth. And though this was not the metropolis of Jerusalem, it did have its own unique reputation. You might remember the words of Nathanael in John 145. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
The angelic greeting declares the answer to his question is absolutely yes. Something more than good was going to come out of the city of Nazareth. The angel Gabriel appearing to Mary and offering greetings troubled her because she didn't really know what was going on. But to be fair, if an angel appeared to any of us, we would probably be troubled too and not really know what's going on. So in the angel's explanation, he gave many things that would be. And briefly, I'm going to say three things the angel did say. First, the angel said that God is saving his people. In verse 31, it said, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. In Matthew 1.21, another angel, he spoke to Joseph, and he said, This child shall be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, in his very name, there was purpose. There was identity. There was a mission that he was going to carry out. In the very name of Jesus, we see the good that God is going to bring from this town called Nazareth. And names are so meaningful. And Jesus' name is especially meaningful. God was saving his people. But from what? Many of that day wanted their salvation to be from the Roman Empire. They had had it with how this stronger nation had oppressed them, how they had mistreated them, how the wrongs were so many. Yahweh was working a rescue mission to save his people from something far greater than the Roman Empire. As the angel told Joseph that this baby would save his people from their sins, he was going up against an enemy far greater than Rome, far greater than any legion of centurions. He was going to go up against an enemy called sin and death. As 1 John tells us, he was going against the enemy to undo the work of the devil. His target was much bigger than Rome. Humanity has only become more and more creative in the ways that we rebel against our God. And it would have been easy for God to have just wiped us off the map like he did in the days of Noah. But he had promised he wouldn't do that. And the reason he promised he wouldn't do that is because there was a future. There was a future way God was dealing with sin. And that's in Jesus. Yahweh saves. Second, the angel said that God is fulfilling his promises. In verse 32, it says, He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. You see, these verses, these words that the angel said, they're actually references to prophecies from long before. Hundreds of years before. God spoke to, at that time, King David. And he said these words in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God told David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And one thing we have to understand about Old Testament prophecies is that there is a sense of what has already happened and what has not yet happened. In other words, most prophecies, many prophecies in the Old Testament have something where they will be fulfilled soon. But they also point to something down the road. That thing they typically point to is the coming Messiah. Because it was going to be King Solomon who would build the temple for, uh, for the Lord, Right? King Solomon was going to be the next king, so you could say he is the now of the prophecy. But his kingdom didn't last. Actually, in the very next generation, he had a son named Rehoboam who took bad advice, made bad choices, and as a result, the kingdom was divided and eventually destroyed. But there would one day become a king. 
there would one day become someone who comes from the line of David, who would be that future king to establish a kingdom that lasts forever. And that's who we see. That's who the angel is declaring to Mary this baby is going to be. The promised king. The answer to the promise that God made to David. Now is the time for a child to be born who will establish an eternal kingdom. It's crazy to me that there are at least 322 prophecies in the Old Testament that point to the Messiah, that describe how he would be born, what he would accomplish, how he would live, who he is. At least 322 prophecies that surely inspired hope through the generations leading up to the birth of the Savior. They are a testament that God always fulfills his promises. If God has said it, he will do it, it will be. God has a perfect track record of keeping every single promise that he makes. So when we look to his word and we see what he says, we can be sure it is true. Third, the angel said that God is coming to us. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. I don't think Mary's question was one of doubt. I think Mary's question was one of curiosity, one of wonder. She wasn't really asking, is God going to do this? No, that she knew. She knew God was going to do it. It was, how is God going to do it? How is he going to bring this miraculous news about? How is he going to work this wonder in her life, in the life of the people of Israel? The answer is going to be one that also points to a promise that God had made long ago in Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Surely Isaiah didn't know that Mary was going to be the lady that he prophesied about. Surely he didn't know that Emmanuel would also be called Jesus, Jesus, as Yahweh saves. But it is through this, the Savior would be fully God and fully man. It is through this, that this baby born to Mary and Joseph would be the Savior we all needed. Because he had to be fully God. Because otherwise he wouldn't have the righteousness that we needed him to have. But he had to be fully man because otherwise he wouldn't be able to identify us and pay the debt that we owe. So he is the only one who is who we need him to be. And he is everything that we need him to be. The one Yahweh saves was going to fulfill so many prophecies in how he saved us. You see, to save us, he would have to be sinless. He would have to defeat sin by living perfectly righteous. That's something that required God himself to act. So what does the angel say to Mary? The angel said that God is saving his people. The angel said that God is fulfilling his promises. And the angel said that God is coming to us. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Quote, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord." 
And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. End quote. So before we ask, what did the angel say to Mary? Now we're asking, what did the angel say to the shepherds? As Evan just read for us, the angels are not done speaking. They brought a very important message to the shepherds. Now for us, 2023, looking back at this, it looks like the shepherds are just a group of guys who are just doing their job, right? Watching the, the flock by night and minding their own business. In that particular culture, shepherds would have been seen a little bit differently. They were not highly esteemed. In fact, people questioned their character all the time. It was by the nature of the shepherds' work that they were always ritually unclean and could never really participate in the religious activities with the rest of the, the community there. So they were always outsiders. They were always looked at with suspicion. They were so untrusted they could not even testify in court. Yet it was the shepherds that, who the angels appeared to. And like the message to Mary, they had a lot to tell about the good that was coming that night out of Bethlehem, but one day would be known for the good coming out of Nazareth. So what did the angel say? First, the angel said, the birth of Christ is good news. Verse 10 says, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The words there, I bring you good news. In the Greek language, it's actually just one word. It's euanglazo. Say that three times fast. Who knows what you're going to come up with, but it's euanglazo. And by a ratio of about 10 to 1, the most common way we see this Greek word translated in our New Testament is always in the context of preaching the gospel. It is almost always used and translated as preach or preach the gospel. The angels were preaching to the shepherds. Now keep in mind, at this point in their history, in their nation's history, they have gone about 400 years without any words from God, without any knowledge of what God was doing and how God was moving. That's a long time. Now, in that long time, don't, so many things happened in their history. Really, it was they were conquered by one people, and then another people, and another people. They were constantly conquered, constantly oppressed, constantly mistreated. So after all this time, don't you know they're, as a people, they're frustrated? They're probably disappointed. God probably feels so very far away. They're confused. Why isn't God doing something? We just knew He would do something by now. There's so many feelings that are attached to their circumstances. And isn't it so easy for us to use our circumstances as the lens by which we look at God? 
and try to define what God is like based on what we are experiencing. See, that had been so easy for them to do in that time, instead of looking at God and looking at their experiences through the lens of God. But now, good news, the gospel has been proclaimed. God is not far off. He is not distant. Actually, He is here. He is here with us. And He has come to save us, to bring this good news of great joy. One thing about me is, in any occasion, on any day, I am always glad to see my bed. Right now, I'm missing my bed currently. Um, Always enjoy those times. But you know when I, I am the most glad to see my bed? It's one of two occasions. One, when I'm getting back from taking a bunch of teenagers to camp, um, and the place that we sleep at camp is never comfortable, um, or if we have an all-night lock-in here, I am so excited to go home and get in my actual bed. I am most glad because something has happened that's caused me to miss it more. In the same way, I'm always glad to see food, unless it's one of those gross things that some of y'all choose, like guacamole or salads. But usually, I am always glad to see food. But you know when I'm at my most glad to see the food? It's when I'm at my hungriest. You see, the people should always be glad to hear a word from the Lord. But what makes this even more great joy level stuff is that they have had this hunger that has gone on for so long. But now, the angel said, there is good news of great joy. That there is a child who is born who is going to be the savior of his people. That is what the angel has said. Secondly, the angel said the birth of Christ is for all people. Look at verse 10 again. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for who? That will be for all the people. Everyone. Now remember how I started this section. I started talking about um, how suspicious of character shepherds were assumed to be. How people looked down on them. How they didn't trust them. How a shepherd could not even testify in court. But in this story, we see an angel delivering great news to someone who could not testify about this in court. One thing I love about the Bible is its its complexity and and the the hidden layers that are always there. And so often the Bible uses ideas that are are parallel to one another. And this one's the same. Because if you fast forward about three decades or so, what you're going to find is an empty tomb. And at that empty tomb, there's going to be an angel that's going to say, He is not here, for He is risen. And you know who He says that to? He says that to a group of women who in that culture would not have been able to testify in court. Now, why in the world would God use the same process to announce the birth as to announce the resurrection? Well, I'm not going to presume to know all the mind of God, but one thing I can tell you that this verse says is that this is good news of great joy For all the people. Not just the people who the culture holds up and honors, but the people who would have been seen low in the culture. You see, it's not just for one race or one nation. It is not just for one economic status. It is not just for one level of prestige. It says it is worth, it is for all the people. So what we see here by what the angel has said is it does not matter who in this life has rejected you. It does not matter what area of life you have come up short. It does not matter if you have prestige or economic status. It does not matter at all because it's all by grace that God is delivering this. It is for all the people. That makes it good news of great joy. That means I don't have to earn a thing because Christ has earned it for me. 
That doesn't mean I have to struggle to get some sort of acceptance before my God. This good news of great joy means there came one who could earn every drop of acceptance and approval I would ever need, and He would just give it to me. Because this good news of great joy is for all the people. Third, the angel said the birth of Christ is a time of worship. The angel said the birth of Christ is a time of worship. In verses 13 and 14, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. Suddenly thousands of angels fill the sky proclaiming the glory of God. You see, they announced the good news of great joy and immediately knew this is a moment for worship. This is a moment to give God every ounce of glory. By the early 400s, so a long time ago, I think of our church, probably only David was still was around then, right? Around the 400s, sorry David, he's an innocent bystander. There was this guy who translated all the Bible into Latin. It's called the Latin Vulgate. And when he got to this verse, he translated it into this Latin phrase that every single one of you have heard. The reason I can say every single one of you have heard is because we already sang it. And that is Gloria and Excelis Deo. Now, I might get one of them to go, have more O's in there, but it's the same, same word with more O's or not O's. It's the same thing. One thing we know about God is that He is infinitely glorious. We're called to give Him glory, all the glory, glory in the highest. But we're not giving Him something He doesn't already possess. We are acknowledging His deserving of every ounce of glory that our lungs and our life can muster. He is truly infinitely glorious, and at this occasion, He is all the more deserving of our praise. The angels were acknowledging His greatness. Our God is the maker of heaven and earth, the one who holds more stars in His hand than there are grains of sand on our planet. He is the one that makes all the planets spin at the exact way they're supposed to. All of us in this room right now, we are alive because He is keeping all of our hearts beating, all of our lungs breathing. He is making every cell in your body do exactly what they're supposed to do. This is our God, the infinite God who is infinitely glorious, who deserves all the praise, is doing all of those things. He is the one who is holding all things together. And in all of His mighty deeds, He is so close to the creatures He has created. He's not a God who created and then went far away. He's a God who created and stayed with His creation. I mean, why else would He give Christ the name Emmanuel, God with us? Why else would when we get to the, further in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, would Paul describe believers in Christ as temples of God because He is always with His people? He is always with His creation. He has the hairs of our head numbered. He has our days known. And for those who would believe, He has our names written in His book of life. He has directed history so precisely that we may hear of His love, that we may respond to His love, and that we may be forever changed by the great love with which He has showed us. He is worth every ounce of praise. In the book of John, John the, the Apostle, he tells us that if all the deeds of Jesus were written down in books, he says, the world would not be able to contain the books. Truly, this is true of our God. 
If we were to list out the ways He is glorious and He is worthy of worship, neither our vocabulary nor our lifespan would allow us to complete that work. But our lifespan would fade away before we could list the deeds and wonders that is owed to our God. A deed that belongs at the top of that list is surely the, the event that we're here to celebrate tonight, the birth of Christ. It is truly a time when we come together and worship our infinitely glorious God. So what did the angel say to the shepherds? The angel said the birth of Christ is good news. The angel said the birth of Christ is for all the people. And the angel said the birth of Christ is a time for worship. Thanks for listening to the Steadfast Podcast. I want to remind you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul wrote this, quote, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. End quote. So in light of biblical truth, let us be steadfast, immovable. Let us remember that through Jesus, not one labor is in vain, not one trial is in vain, not one effort in all of our lives is in vain. Because He gives purpose. And that purpose rings through eternity. That's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, if you've got questions you would like answered, you can email me at matt at steadfastpodcast.com.